Hey everybody, welcome back to Fitness with Feldman. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. This is Dr. Justin Feldman from Feldman Physical Therapy and Performance. And this week we have another great episode for everybody. We recently had the pleasure of having Dr. Justin Conway from Crystal Run Healthcare on our Facebook Live series. And we were able to pull the audio out so we can release it as a podcast as well. Um, unfortunately, I forgot to record the very beginning of it. So uh, we'll sort of jump jump in right after Dr. Conway gave uh, a little introduction about himself. Uh, Dr. Conway is a non-operative orthopedist. And so he specializes in all uh, non-operative care Um and he gets into talking a little bit about some more modern treatments. We talk a little bit about uh, PRP injections. We talk a little bit about stem cells. And then we finish off by talking about some different things that endurance athletes should be making sure to keep an eye on as far as ferritin levels go and um, making sure we're all getting enough vitamin D um, and some of the, the downsides of not having the right levels of each of those things. So we'll jump right in here. Enjoy. And any questions, please make sure to post them uh, below or in the show notes, and uh, we'll make sure we get them answered for you. Have a great day. Um, I don't know, Justin, Ashley, do you guys have anything else? No, I would say, uh, you know, let's, uh, we'll get people uh, file in here and then we can, we can let people ask specific questions. Um, but I, I definitely think a good place to start start chatting is about some of the more um, modern, maybe less known about, um, you know, non-surgical treatments that are available to people because, you know, I think that's sort of, uh, you know, people kind of think, all right, we either are going to be able to fix this with PT or I'm going to need surgery. And there's a whole world of medicine in the middle um, that is, is kind of unknown to, to a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, jumping off point. And obviously, there's a, a lot to unpack there. It's a it's a field that's definitely, again, over the past like 10, 20 years really exploded. Um, and there's a lot of uh, options out there, admittedly, a lot of noise and a lot of people maybe peddling things or uh, kind of uh, doing things without a lot of research behind it. Uh, but what I'm, hopefully we can focus on there, the stuff that has some better research and that are, are the most common um, uh, that you'll, you'll see out there. So I think one- Any research behind just eating pizza and not training? Yeah, there's great research on that in terms of weight gain. That's probably <laughs> the best weight gain strategy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially in um, extreme circumstances like the end of the world, Listen, the more, the more meat you got on your body, the longer you're going to survive. So yeah, it's really a survival I, strategy. It's a smart one. I had one of, <laughs> so I played basketball in college and, and one of my coaches legitimately would tell freshmen coming in who were skinny and needed to gain weight to drink a six pack of beer before they went to bed every night. Yeah. <laughs> that was his advice. <laughs> uh, Sound advice. Yeah, so that's that's one way to do it. But if you throw some pizza in there, then then it'll, that'll really get you over the top. Um, but yeah, so there's this term called biologic uh, medicine or orthobiologics, 
which basically just means using uh, like a, a person's own um, uh, own tissues uh, to help heal injury. Um, so really like probably the most common one that you'll see is called platelet-rich plasma or PRP injections. So the, the platelet-rich portion of your blood has a lot of uh, inflammatory factors um, and uh, products that can, uh, depending on how it's um, uh, like on, on, you can select for different uh, like uh, parts of the blood in terms of uh, having inflammatory factors, healing factors, growth factors to either stimulate healing or sometimes we use it just to like decrease inflammation. So where I use it a lot is in tendons. Obviously a tendon is like a rope that attaches a muscle to a bone. Obviously if a tendon is torn, like more than a centimeter or two apart, the two ends aren't gonna come back together. Um, so like for example, an Achilles tear, that's something that, you know, if it's totally torn and retracted, you would need surgery. But if it's a partial tear or these small, even full thickness tears around the uh, knee, the ankle, the shoulder, the hip, um, that's something where PRP we can use to help stimulate healing and get that partial or small, even full thickness tear um, to heal on its own. And it's a process where we, you come to the office, we draw your blood, we spin it down, um, like right there in the office with you. Um, and then from like usually about 50 milliliters of blood, which sounds like a lot, but really it's like, you know, the equivalent of like getting a normal blood draw, we can get three to five milliliters of this of uh, PRP, which we then take and inject directly under ultrasound guidance in the office. We can see the area of the tendon that's torn um, uh, and we can inject that inject that in right there and it kind of stimulates your body's own healing response uh, which is pretty cool and and um, we've been getting really good results from that so it's like you're part of your own science experiment where you like wait and spin the blood down and everything basically yeah you get to see it all I have people like videoing the process you could facebook live it <laughs> nice he's giving yeah. us ideas right yeah so ideas to give out to the people is there is there say for like people who are wondering like once you do that injection what's their protocol afterwards like are they what are you looking to have them do what what should they be doing yeah it's a good question so in general I tell people for two weeks to kind of um basically take it easy you can so say we do i do it a lot like around the shoulder for rotator cuff uh, partial tears. So just using that as an example, um, you don't have to be in a sling. You don't need to be immobilized, but you know, I ask my patients not to lift more than five or 10 pounds with that arm for a couple weeks. Honestly, the first week you're really sore because you're kind of mm -hmm. stimulating, um, that inflammatory response. So people generally don't, you know, want to do that much. Um, but yeah, like two weeks to kind of protect the area to make sure we don't re-aggravate it. And then the two week mark, it's okay to, you know, get started back with the rehab and kind of physical therapy exercises, whether it be at home or, you know, 
one-on-one -on -one with a physical therapist um, because, and that's key because if you don't do the rehab, if you don't do the work, then the, you know, you're not going to get the, the best healing response. It's kind of that window where you need to put the, put the work in. So, and then in terms of, you know, when to get the benefit, it takes a good, like, three months to, for the tendon to heal because you're relying on your body's own healing response. So I tell people like, you know, the first two weeks are just kind of getting over the initial injection. And then at that mark, it's kind of week by week, uh, you should make slow progress. And by three to four months, you should be getting the maximum benefit. And I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's great to hear because it's really realistic. If you have an injury that's that extreme to begin with, I think people need to have realistic expectations. And, you know, like if you're like, say your baseline is here and then one side gets injured, you've then dropped down. It's just going to take you a long time to get back up to capacity, um, you know, to be able to continue like high level activity. So if working with runners, you know, doing some like really true endurance work or even like, you know, intensity, hill work, speed work, things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think that's important. A lot of people don't get, the you know that expectation part and, and we've talked about it before runners are not sensible creatures and so <laughs> they're like yeah i have an injury i can just push through it right pain you know no pain no gain you know blood sweat and tears is how it goes um so i, I mean i think that's like really important to you know for people to understand is they've gotta they've gotta work on getting that capacity back up you know like you're if you do the prp you know you're putting them in a position to heal and then they've got to then do the rest of the work to heal to, like to heal Otherwise, it's like the guy in the gym who's injecting steroids without actually lifting weights. It's like, it's yeah. not going to do the work for you. You still got to put yeah. the work. And that's not to say that, like, you know, if it was PRP for the knee or the ankle, um, I wouldn't make a run, like, stop a runner from running for three months yeah. you know, after the injection. Um, but in terms, it would take, I would, like, work with them in terms of building back up over that amount of time to their baseline. So something that this is not something that you'd want to do like three to four weeks before a big race and then expect that you're going to be, you know, cured by within that time frame. Yeah. Um, but, you know, kind of after a couple of weeks of resting, then kind of building back up over that two or three month uh, period, and then hopefully you'll be back to 100%. Yep. I think something like an important takeaway for some people too is like inflammation is somewhat important in the healing process. Um, yeah. And that initial pain really when you have these injections is more or less due to some of that inflammation that's being caused. Right. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. You know? We're kind of making like in these partial tendon tears or tendinopathy where there's tendon degeneration, um, the kind of there's poor blood supply, which is part of the issue. Um, especially like in areas like the rotator cuff, the Achilles, the patellar tendon, that's why your body is not healing it on its own. So really we're like creating a new injury, um, which hurts because pain is inflammation. So part of that process is like, I guess the one other main part in terms of post-procedure care is that we don't want patients uh, using anti-inflammatories for the first couple of weeks. So that'd be like ibuprofen, Aleve, Motrin, because that's just gonna like inhibit the response you're trying to create. 
Yeah, so, I, think, I think you need to say that again for the audience because I was going to say the same thing. Just go ahead and say that again, Justin, because that's like perfect. <laughs> so yeah, so specifically after uh, after these PRP injections, where we're creating an inflammatory response, taking NSAIDs, which are the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, Aleve, Motrin, would just be counteracting that response. That's the first thing people want to do. They're like, yeah, I'm going to pop some so I can continue to go work and do stuff. Yeah. I mean, and it's important to relate to a new injury too. Similar type of scenario. And I think that's yeah. why we had to repeat it. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I know. <laughs> uh, obviously, it's a controversial topic. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. As is, as is ICE. So we could, we could go back and forth. Go on about it all time. day. Yeah. Um, I think there is a role uh, potentially you know, in some injuries um, for some like anti-inflammatories and, mm-hmm. and even ice, um, yeah. but maybe just for a couple days and for certain injuries, uh, but especially for these tendon injuries um, or like acute on chronic type issues. Um, yeah, I would, I would be very uh, hesitant to be popping a lot of, a lot of Advil or just like, icing it down because it needs to Mm -hmm. you got to move it and you got to use it to get it going yeah now someone on someone on facebook asked uh is there specific joints where the prp or specific tendons that the prp has been shown to be more effective yeah so uh the best evidence is around the elbow um like for lateral epicondylitis or tennis elbow, there's good evidence for that. Um, the Achilles and the patellar tendon um, are, um, are other areas that where there's good data. Um, again, these are for partial tears or tendinopathy as opposed to like acute uh, full, full tears. Um, and then the rotator cuff is admittedly um, more mixed data, uh, but in my experience, um, you know, I've been having good results with that as well. Um, the last one I'll add is the is around the hip, the gluteus medius tendon. I th- it's the anatomy is honestly very similar to the elbow um, in terms of where the the glute the gluteus tendon is attached to the greater trochanter, um, and also you know um, we've been getting good results there as well. There's a lot of PRP done for arthritis. That's probably the most common indication. Um, and un- unfortunately, maybe uh, of less benefit than for tendons. You know, it's kind of counterintuitive because for tendon tears, we're trying to stimulate inflammation, which causes healing, which I think makes sense. For arthritis, it's an inflammatory process. Um, and then we're injecting PRP to decrease inflammation. So it's kind of hard to like think through how that works. There is, and again, I was talking about the formulations of the PRP. For tendons, we use leukocyte rich uh, formulation, meaning the leukocytes are like the white blood cells, the inflammatory cells, because we want to, again, simulate inflammation. For in joints, like for knee arthritis, um, we use leukocyte poor uh, formulation because we don't want to increase inflammation, we want to calm it down. And the PRP uh, in the setting of joint arthritis can 
help to stabilize the knee, decrease inflammation in a more long-term fashion than like a cortisone shot, which would be the most most commonly used, or even these like gel injections, viscosegmentation yeah, yeah. that uh, are pretty widely used as well. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that about the difference between the like the the, the content of the uh, the PRP. So that's kind of yeah. Cool. So that's something that you know, obviously, there's a a lot. Of, most orthopedic prices now have someone doing this type of uh, you know biologic injection. So that would be just kind of uh, a public service announcement that as a patient you should ask like what what is the formulation you're using? Why are you using that? Um, because that's been one issue with, with the research and studies is that when you say PRP, there's a lot of, you know, that could mean a lot of different things depending on the machine and how it's being used. So you kind of have to advocate for yourself in, in yeah. some ways to know exactly what you're getting. And it is, we should have maybe said this at the outset, it is at this point not covered by any insurance. So um, it's an out-of-pocket cost. Um, which can obviously vary widely depending on the office and location. Um, so it may behoove you to shop around a little bit um, uh, before you decide on on what you're going to do. Um, you know, it's, it's a good public service announcement, like you, you said, because I, I think that's probably one of the more common, um, less invasive procedures that are gonna bridge that gap, like Justin said, between like purely conservative and then the full surgical approach. But I'd say PRP is the one that most of my clients over the past, you know, 10 years have come in saying, hey, I heard about this stuff, will it work, you know? Um, and so it's, you know, I think it's important and I hope people can, you know, take that, like you said, certain areas it works really, really well and this is why. And so the more informed people can be, I think, um, you know, the, the better off it'll be for them, but um, yeah. Yeah, and then the, you know, I'm sure you also have uh, people, you know, asking you about uh, stem cell injections, which is yeah. the other like main bucket um, of this uh, biologic uh, medicine, orthobiologics. Um, just like a brief overview, overview in, uh, for these stem cell injections in general. The two most common uh, ways it's done is by either taking uh, a bone marrow sample from a patient or taking fat cells from around the abdomen and then processing those. Um, again, it's usually done like in the room with the patient, though it would be done in more of an op op OR setting because it's more invasive than drawing blood, obviously. Um, and then isolating um, the uh, stem cells and then similarly, as with the PRP, then injecting that directly back into the patient. Um, it's being used a lot for arthritis. Um, that's the most common indication. Um, in my opinion, um, I don't think that the research, the evidence out there justifies the price tag, uh, which is you know in the like thousands of dollars, if not tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so. Um, there's no, I haven't seen data that it's better than PRP or, you know, even in some cases, you know, the, the, uh, more common injections or like physical therapy. So, uh, I think again, 
you got to be your own advocate. And it's, you'll hear like in some patients, anecdotally, it works really well. Um, but you got to have your eyes wide open. Specifically, I've heard like, I've had patients who have severe arthritis, like bone on bone, who are spending like tens of thousands of dollars on stem cell injections, uh, which most certainly will not, is not gonna, you know, give lasting relief for severe arthritis because you can't change the, the physics of, of that bone on bone nature. So, um, you know, that's kind of a shame that stuff is going on, but for some more mild to mild arthritis, you know, it, it maybe is more effective, but in my opinion, we got to wait till there's better data or the price drops, hopefully both. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I, I, it, that's a kind of good to know. Cause I always have people asking that difference back and forth. Um, and you definitely see, uh, a lot of, stuff you know i think people come in with a lot of information on prp and stem cell stuff that they've sort of done their own research um and it, it's amazing the wide variety of, it's like any other topic the wide variety of things that people can find information about on the internet and yeah. then sort of how um and it, it makes sense you know people are in pain and things hurt and so they really stick to the ones that sort of show that it's going to help them um yeah no matter what and they sort of latch onto that stuff and go mm -hmm. through it uh, but just knowing that, you know, the difference between the different types of PRP and the, um, the stem cell things, I've, I've had similar where I've had patients with NeoA who are, you know, really, really dead set against getting a replacement and they're spending a fortune trying these stem cell things yeah. and uh, just, you know, feel horrible for them because it's sort of delaying things. Yeah. I mean, you said, like you said, that you can't reverse um, the degenerative properties of OA, right? So is it, I mean, it's almost like the stem cell is just, it's like a pain relief, right? Yeah. So even like in the, in, in the, in vitro, like lab studies, mm -hmm. um, you know, looking at these stem cell injections or PRP injections, unfortunately, we can't, we at this point haven't figured out how to regrow cartilage, which is the issue in arthritis. Um, so yeah, maybe if we could get together with all the time on our hands now and figure that out, that's our, Boom. our ticket to fame. <laughs> but uh, a lot more pizza then. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You could buy you could buy Domino's. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it seems like what it's doing is really like stabilizing the cartilage and mm -hmm. stabilizing the environment in the joint to decrease inflammation over the long term. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So um, I think, yeah, like stem cell sound text is like, oh, you're going to regrow the, the cartilage and, and, um, and fix the issue. Unfortunately, at least to this point, that hasn't really been shown. Um, and I, yeah, I realize I'm coming off like very anti stem cell. I'm not, I think there's certainly a role in it and hopefully in, in my career, you know, we're going to figure out the best way to use use it and utilize the best because I think that there's down the road, we're going to be using it more and more. But personally, if I were a patient right now, I would, I would wait on it given, again, given the price tag. And I just think we need to know more. Yeah. And even the population we're talking about right now, it's just, you know, some treatments like stem cells are super effective at regenerating tissue. You know, I think it just depends on the 
you know, with the differentiation of the cells in general. And like you said, they just haven't figured it out with cartilage yet. Um, but I also think it might come down to like, even if it could, I would think that you would also have to be non-weight bearing and it would, there would be a, like to give it a chance to actually, um, you know, become super effective and have that area become, you know, structurally sound um, and have the integrity that it needs to, to handle like the compressive forces at the joint, especially if we're talking about yeah. like the knee um, and the hips. So, you know, I, I would imagine just like, yeah, right now it's probably not one of the more effective treatments for those people that want to stay active. Um, so, I don't know, that's, that's the yeah. only thing I was thinking of as you were talking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, there is, so, yeah, and then there's a bunch of other stuff that people, you know, are injecting, um, you know, kind of under this bucket of orthobiologics, um, you know, different, like, uh, like, basically concoctions of different uh, molecules and uh, growth factors and things like that. Um, you know, again, I would just like kind of go in with your eyes wide open. Um, and you know, try and and be the best advocate for yourself that you can. Because um, and again, there's I'm sure I think there's a role for that, but uh, kind of remains to be seen where and when. Um, but again, I'm excited to see what 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 evolves over the next ten years or so. Because we've certainly come a long way in the last ten. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, there's even thinking like by the time we get older and if, you know, a lot, I think a lot of, um, you know, degenerative properties are genetic, um, you know, so I think a lot of our field, at least in physical therapy is like very anti-medicine um, or they just can't, you know, kind of see the forest through the trees and they're just like, no, arthritis, you got to strengthen, you can prevent it. And reality, it's like, well, there's a degenerative, you know, and genetic property there, but I can only hope by the, the time that like I'm of that age and based on my injury history now, Justin, Justin Ashley, you guys don't get to comment on any of that. Um, you know, like who knows what it'll be like in, in the future. You know, I've had a conversation with my, which my, with my friends and they're like, oh yeah, knee replacements don't last that long and we still want to continue running and doing stuff. And I'm like, listen, man, in 20, 30 years, like who knows what medical advancements are going to be like. And I can only hope that like these things with stem cells and, you know, learning to regenerate, uh, you know, certain tissues um, will really take mm -hmm. off. It's kind of exciting. It's really cool. Yeah. So, the, and then there's one other, uh, you know, thing that I use in my practice that's not technically doesn't fall under this orthobiologic, but that's kind of another, uh, like minimally invasive approach that we can use specifically for, uh, these tendon injuries, whether it be partial tendon tears or tendinopathy, which is like the tendon degeneration. Um, and it's a tool called Tenex, which is a special needle that uh, vibrates at a high frequency and can actually break up like damaged or degenerative tendon tissue. Um, and then it has like a, a vacuum attached to it that kind of sucks it out and then allows the, leaves the healthy tendon in place and allows it to heal like using your body's own property. So the end result is, is very similar to the PRP in that it's stimulating your body's own healing, but the way it does it is, um, you know, a little different in terms of, as I said, like uh, breaking up and sucking out the disease or damaged tendon. Um, so we use this a lot around, um, again, the shoulder, the knee, the elbow, uh, the foot and ankle. Uh, it's especially cool when you have like calcifications associated with these chronic tendon injuries, 
because you can actually suck out the, the calcifications and you can see it in real time. Um, and it, since it's done under local anesthesia, uh, the patient can watch the whole thing, you know, on the ultrasound monitor screen, which is pretty cool too. That's cool. Have you used that with like myositis ossificans? Like in the yeah, I haven't done it. I haven't done it for that. Um, though I'd be interested in, yeah, in, in seeing, I'm sure there's a case series that, that I could look up on that. Um, I and use it. Stock eight guys that takes a knee to the thigh. That's it. We're going to try it. There you go. <laughs> a big needle. The problem uh, is it's if it's not, John's knee that they take to the thigh, then we're going to know something's up. Yeah. <laughs> He kept saying that it was going to help by kneeing me all repeatedly. Um, <laughs> I know. If it's, a, if it's a big needle, then male soccer players are probably not going to be the target audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you guys are pretty wimpy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, can all, we can always use general anesthesia if needed. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's real rich coming from a guy that plays a sport where it's like, oh, he touched me. It's a foul. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Well, At least they don't uh, flop on the ground and pretend to get say, You know, we flop all the time. Yeah, so right. You actually, don't even have yesterday, to get in the office, I had a, I was doing just like a regular knee injection, and I use like that uh, freeze spray stuff. It's like ethyl chloride. Yeah. But he he asked me, he's like, "Is that the stuff they use for the soccer players when the medic runs out and sprays them?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, basically, when they're faking an injury." Yeah. <laughs> They take them off on the stretcher with five guys, and then he just runs back out on the field. Yeah. Oh, God, it hurts, Whitney, looking off. I think my favorite thing was, what was it, two World Cups ago where they – who was it that they took off the field, they thought he was faking an injury, and he ended up having, like, a cervical fracture? Yeah. They just rolled him off the stretcher on the sideline? Yep, dumped him. Yeah. Oh, man. That's, yeah. No, that's, every not, now and then. that's not how we learned it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I use oh, that one with the kids is the whole like boy who cried wolf thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a perfect example. <laughs> yeah, the many Bruner for the few. Um, yeah. have you, is that the same thing though where you've had um, with 10X you've seen more success in certain areas than others? Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, it's honestly like this similar areas around the elbow, foot and ankle, um, shoulder. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think kind of bringing a full circle talking, you know, again, for like the, the our tar target audience right now. Well, I mean, everybody can learn something from this, like you said, to be their own advocate. But, um, you know, like for the endurance population and those runners, it's I mean, I, we see a pattern where, um, you know, people are either not strong enough and they're taking up these activities um, or, you know, like you mentioned, too, like that acute chronic workload ratio, which I think is too complicated to get into now for people. But they ramp up their volume and intensity too quickly. Um, I think those are like the most common things we see that people come to see us for. I don't know if you would say like there are any other um, like variables that kind of, um, you know, create patterns that you see in, in you know, certain populations of people that benefit from this kind of stuff or that need these kind of treatments. Yeah. You know, I think you earlier, you mentioned that a lot of people are afraid to go to the doctor because you know, a lot of doctors will just tell them to stop doing what they're doing or like kind of if you're, you know, if it's not your job to play sports or be a runner, then like to stop it, like what's the big deal, yeah. which obviously is like ridiculous um, and not going to be well received by a lot of athletes. So I understand people who when they get that response, it's like, well, it's 
screw this, I'm gonna find another avenue. So, and honestly, that's probably not in most, obviously if you have a broken bone, <laughs> you need to not run. If you have a broken foot, you probably shouldn't be running. But if you have, you know, for, for most injuries that we see in the office, the answer is not stop and do nothing. Um, and it's usually even not stop running altogether. It just be, okay, you need to modify, you need to look at your volume and we need to look at, you know, what the other things that you're doing to support your running, the strengthening, um, the, you know, yeah, like again, you need to have a good, a good foundation and good base to be able to support you um, in doing what you want to do. So that's a conversation I have often is like I start with saying, I'm not going to tell you to stop running, but let's work on figuring out how to, how to, what we need to do to keep you, keep you running and then build you up in a manner that's going to hopefully prevent you from getting injured. <clears throat> Yeah, and that's where I'm really happy to be able to work with you guys and and helping with that because um, often people need to hear it multiple times from different angles to kind of get through. Yeah, I mean, I even think for physical therapists, there are a lot of them out there that still subscribe to that. Well, you got to stop everything for six weeks while it heals. It's like no, not stop everything. Like you said, you don't need to stop running, but there's the proverbial but where you really have to modify the type and the volume and, and the intensity of the. Uh, you know, the activity to make it appropriate. Um, I also think it's funny, like running gets such a bad rap, like everywhere you'll see, oh, running's bad for you, running's bad for you, you should stop running. And like you said, if you're not a professional, you should stop. But if you take a look at like the sports paradigm in general, like what's the one sport that people can generally continue to do into their like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth decades of life is run. It's a, it's a low intensity sport. Um, you know, like there's no external variables, but it's, you know, it's non-contact, whereas you're not going to see people playing contact sports, you know, into their fifth decade of life with the same success rate as everybody else. So yeah. I almost feel like I, I wish, and I, I like that, you know, with all these conservative treatments um, that can bridge that gap between, um, you know, severe injury, like surgically, surgically and, and non, um, you know, we can keep people running and moving. It's just, it's crazy to me that we still tell people like, oh, running's bad for you, or that's, that notion is still out there. Yeah. There was a, there's a great study that, and I, I'm not going to like, I don't remember the exact numbers. Off the top make of my it head. up. We make up numbers all the time. <laughs> but the general, the Mostly general, our uh, points of view. So <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, the general like uh, point is that they, they had like a hundred or a, a group of, of people like 40 to 60 that had mild to moderate knee arthritis. And then half of and half of them were runners and half of them weren't. And so then they followed up like five, 10 years later. And those who continued to run on a regular basis had less progression of knee arthritis than those who didn't run. So the so it's a it's a myth that like running will cause arthritis or make arthritis worse. Yeah. But there's obviously a, a J curve. Like <laughs> if you ran a marathon every day, you know then probably over time, you're gonna have like, this gonna worsen the condition. Yeah. Also, if you did nothing and sat around and ate pizza all day, that's gonna make it worse too. <laughs> but there's a spot in the middle yeah, where like you're really more like moderately right active. <laughs> <laughs> Is it time for lunch, John? You gotta go. Yeah. Soon, and we did get some pizza dough. 
<laughs> can be a good Saturday. Uh, so there's that sweet spot, which is a pretty wide range, probably, yeah. where you're not gonna be doing damage, and you're certain, and both for your joints and just obviously for your overall health, staying active uh, is is doing a lot of good. Yeah, that's a good point. Now we can sort of switch, you know, switch gears a little bit, but um, when we you know, talk about sort of the endurance, um, the endurance athletes are, you know, uh, where, wherever they may fall, like on that spectrum. Um, we were talking beforehand, um, about some of the other things that you look for in them as far as like health. And I know that we, we had talked a little bit about like the, um, iron levels and vitamin D and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I think that would be a really good thing to talk about because, um, I know, especially the the iron level thing seems to be something that um, is coming up a lot recently. Yeah, happy to touch on that. So yeah, obviously, you know the the probably overused analogy that like your body is like a car and you have to give it the fuel um, through nutrition and sleep to keep the car running well. Um, and you know there are ways to kind of in terms of laboratory tests or evaluations um, to check and make sure that you're, you know, getting the fuel that you need. Um, the most, so one of the most common things that we, we check for is uh, iron levels. Um, oh, I think my daughter's coming to join me. Hey. There she is. Hey. This is Louise. Future, Come on over. <laughs> endurance athlete. Yeah. <laughs> Currently, scooter is the preferred method of I like it. Hello. Hey. Join me. We're just talking about uh, iron. So anyway, so, uh, you know, classically when you get, you know, your, your blood checked for anemia or, or uh, low iron levels, it's look, you, you're looking at something called the CBC. And in the CBC, you get the hemoglobin and hematocrit. Um, and those are, you know, the hemoglobin, uh, is what carries oxygen um, in your red blood cells. But that's really not a good test for iron levels in an athlete because the hemoglobin is only gonna drop. It's like the last thing to drop. So if you're, if you're anemic with a low hemoglobin, um, that's kind of like the end of the spectrum. And really what, what carries the iron stores in your body, something called ferritin. And ferritin isn't, you know, on your standard blood test that you that you would get for like an annual checkup or things like that. So it might be something that, you know, if if you want to get some more in-depth uh, information, asking your doctor to check your ferritin level uh, would be the way to go. And because again, ferritin is like the storage, the iron storage molecule in the blood. And if you are iron deficient, the ferritin is going to drop far below you actually become anemic. And there are studies looking at um, injury patterns in athletes, uh, and specifically in, in uh, runners and other endurance athletes, that if your ferritin drops below uh, 40, then there does seem to be uh, an increased risk of uh, muscular tendinous injury, um, and as well as potential performance drops in, in runners. So, general ferritin over you want to keep it over 40 um and again you should ask you may need to ask specifically to get that checked nice any any 
questions, comments on that? No, I mean, that's awesome. We were at, uh, at a course in Seattle back in January with a lot of our, uh, you know, colleagues and coaches and PTs specifically for running and, you know, the ferritin levels came up and it's like, yeah, it's what's one of those things that I think there's more available to runners nowadays, um, you know, and access to information. So I think that's just one thing that can, you know, really help round things out. Um, you know, I think strength used to be the big focus, but now we're getting into like the micro level of like all the pieces of low hanging fruit that, um, and then sometimes it's just good. People are like, yeah, I get my, you know, my blood checked, like, you know, once a year, once every other year when I go to the doctor. But I mean, if, if you're active, you're an athlete and if you're an endurance runner, you know, going through a race season, there's so many highs and lows and stresses placed on your body. You know, it's one of those things that's like, yeah, get a few data points, like go to your doctor, get some blood, blood work done. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of iron supplementation, the best way is through your, through your diet. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it doesn't have to be just eating meat. There's like, uh, <laughs> vegetable and other protein forms that have a lot of iron in it. Um, so something that, you know, every, every athlete should be thinking about, you know, nutrition wise, making sure that you're getting good stores there. If you are gonna, uh, be taking a supplement, we used to like have people take, like recommend if you're. If you're anemic, taking iron supplements three times a day. We found that uh, there's been recent data over the past four or five years showing that that actually probably is not that that's like actually that actually taking it taking the supplements less less often is going to actually boost your iron stores more. Um, so be, because of the way it's absorbed, like by just like overloading your gut with more iron actually less gets absorbed than if you just took it once a day or some can even say like once every other day. Mm -hmm. um, and also taking iron th supplements three times a day is very constipating. Um, and in general, people can't keep it up. Mm -hmm. uh, so another reason, very important uh, to um, actually taking it less is probably better off. Definitely good to know. Yeah. Yeah, I know I've heard of people talking about like like eating baby cereal. Yeah, there you go. To to, to get it. And uh with we have Louise and a and a one-year-old uh her younger brother Trevor around. So we have a lot of baby cereals. What's your favorite <laughs> cereal, Louise? Um I like all of the most I like the sticky cereal. But the kind that we have, it's not my favorite. But some, <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of get it to where old mommy can get some at the store. She just threw yeah. you guys under the bus. She's like, yeah. yeah, you need to get my favorite cereal back. I know. We're, <laughs> we, we'll work on it. <laughs> All right, you guys can eat baby cereal. I'm just gonna put steak on my pizza. That's I it. Like there it. you go. Good. Okay. okay. Yeah. Louise, how's your baby brother doing? Good. Yeah. Mr. Trevor. He just had a birthday a few days ago. Ooh. What did he get? What did he get? He got a thing where it counts through a screen, and if you shoot it, it says you get one more goal. I like uh, it. Like a basketball and soccer goal. Ooh. Ah. Uh, yeah. Also a present for me. Yeah. <laughs> 
as was the trampoline. Love, love dunking on the uh, on the two foot hoop. It's very fun. <laughs> Great. Don't you have to? Squat? It'd be good. It would be really good for me. There you go. Yeah. We'll, we'll start. We'll start there, and we can build up. We would have to jump. You you would have to squat down for that, right? Can I finish up here? And I'll join you in like ten minutes. Sure, you can lay here. <laughs> That's good. I like that. I okay. Yeah, the, uh, all the vitamins and things like that. Admittedly, like I'm definitely not my strong suit. So I like that. You know, when you when you say stuff like that, it's gonna make me like sound a lot smarter than I actually am when I repeat that one line to my runners. There you go. That's that's the <laughs> the name of the game. Yeah. Just big so, yeah word. so then the vitamin D is another topic which obviously gets uh, a lot of press and um, something that's. <clears throat> After this, we're going to have a pillow fight. Uh, um, good luck. <laughs> thanks. I need it. Uh, so, yeah, so vitamin D is something that, you know, a lot of people get checked, um, you know, through their normal, like, primary care doctor. Um, it's reported to have a lot of effects on, on the body, whether it be mood, energy, um, you know, I think, it's probably it's somewhat controversial, like how important vitamin D actually actually is, and if we should be supplementing as much as we are, because you know in the northern hemisphere, <clears throat> most of us and in the the lives that we lead now, where we're inside most of the time, most of us are vitamin D deficient because the best source of vitamin D is sunlight, um, and especially in winter months the majority of people are going to be vitamin D deficient. And there's some debate of whether that's actually like a disease or something that should be treated or it's just a normal cycle, like seasonal cycle. That being said, there are again studies which show that a low vitamin D level can increase the risk of, of tendon and muscle injury. Um, so uh, keeping your vitamin D over 30, um, based on those studies uh, is generally uh, probably a good idea. Looks like she's behind you like putting pennies in the pillowcase to get ready for the pillow fight. So. <laughs> she's getting ready. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think just to, for both ferritin and vitamin D, you know, keeping it over 40 is an easy thing to remember. Um, so, you know, kind of taking that as a takeaway um, is something that I think people can can probably hold on to. Nice, nice, yeah. Um, I don't know either of you guys have any other questions. We got all the ones. We answered all the ones from the people on Facebook that have asked things. So if anybody yeah. has any other questions, good. Definitely go ahead and uh, you know throw them in there. Good. This was awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, thank you so much for coming on. I think it's been uh, you know it's been great and it's it's good, uh, really good information to get out there to people and just that idea of teaching people to be their own advocate and to um, understand what they're asking for and what's going on is really really you know really important. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and if uh, yeah, if other questions come up after this talk. Um, you know, please reach out to 
to John, Ashley, and Justin, and, the, and they can uh, forward them on to me. Happy to be a resource however ever I can. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Thanks for being so, uh, so kind to our patients, man. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Thank you guys. Taking good care of them all. Appreciate being able including, to have Including you. one who's here. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Anything uh, to say? Keep on rolling. Louise? Um, and if you want to do like a thing where you can draw while you're, while you're, while you're on the screen, is mommy figuring it out? And if, if yeah, you, you guys figure it out, maybe you can do it what me and mommy did. Yeah, hot tip for your next event is uh, there's a, a site where you can integrate uh, Pictionary into a Zoom call. Oh, Ooh, that is pretty way. cool. Yeah. For your next that is Zoom awesome. happy hour. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Discovered that it last is night. definitely something we have to look into. You can create a team. It is very do. fun because you just, the other person can actually draw um, their own picture. Mom. Mom drew a cake and trouble, like like jumping up and down. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that's it. Definitely awesome. All right, all right. Well, we're excited to see you guys in person soon. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll see you soon here, and uh, yeah, everyone right. have have a great day. Thanks yeah, so much. For guys. In. <laughs> all right, bye. <laughs> and bye. if you have some monkey questions, please call us. Okay. <laughs> Monkey right. question. I like it. All right. I'll leave on that. <laughs> <laughs>